of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre where you'll find writing courses and an awesome supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher series. How are you, Al? I... I'm actually doing surprisingly well, and I, like, oh. I, I, I come to you from a position of a person who works by themselves for hours and hours on end, and Ooh. has now developed, you know, three co-workers um, and a dog. I am <laughs> doing surprisingly well. We're, we're managing surprisingly well. It's all, you know, and I, I honestly, this is my heartfelt wish for all of you who are listening. I hope that you are also managing surprisingly well because I think that that's it's a kind of what we can hope for right now, right? What's been the biggest challenge? Oh, just, uh, well, the internet's been a problem because, oh. you know, just mm. keep, you know, when everyone's on at the same time doing videos and Zooms mm. and God knows what else, mm. um, that stuff, it, it, that can be a bit of a problem. But um, we've, we're managing that. So it's a matter of everybody going, I have to do this at 1030 um, and and that's you know that seems to be working out quite well. We're trying not mm. to schedule you know three Zoom meetings at the same time, <laughs> which has been happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's all fine. Uh, I guess just you know keeping the boys on track with their schoolwork. The school's been good. Like they've been you know they they get daily you know lessons and all of that kind of stuff. So um, that's been pretty good. I look. I'm you know I, I'm intensely grateful to the universe that I have high school age boys mm. um not primary school age boys because i think that that would be so much more difficult there's so much more sort of hands-on supervision required of the actual learning stuff when they're when they're younger whereas my two um are pretty good at just sort of getting on with it really um mm. we have we've got a routine we've everybody's got to do their thing at the you know sit down and do their thing um we have enough rooms which is great i'm intensely mm. grateful for that for not living in an open plan house so um, everybody's basically got their own space, which is great. Um, so, you know, like it's – I think we're all just, um, you know, doing the best we can. I think the yeah. person who's probably struggling the most with it is my youngest son. Yeah. Uh, he's the most social of all of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's missing his friends. He's um, not used to, you know, as much time by himself and he's a very, very active boy, so he's missing all his 8 million sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we're, we're working our way through that and finding other things for him to concentrate on. To be honest with you, I'm um, I'm really using this time to try and get him to work on his fine motor skills. His gross motor skills have always been brilliant, but because of his physical oh. nature he's not one to sit down for days and hours and draw and do all that kind of stuff but uh he's been getting into drawing which has been great, great. um yeah so you know i look i'm sure this is boring for everyone but like this is basically <laughs> this is i think this is what we're i think this is what we're all going through like it's just that thing of readjusting yes what we're doing so that's what we're doing but anyway what about you valerie I believe well, you I... sat on your balcony for the first time this week. <laughs> <laughs> on a certain part of my balcony, yes. I had to laugh. <laughs> Which goes my... to show how little I use my balcony and I really and you've should lived do in... it more often. you've lived in the house for how long? Almost five years. Yes. Yeah, so it was interesting. I sat there and I went, I have never done this before. Because <laughs> I looked around and went, I have never seen this view. Well, I've seen the view, the view from that perspective before. So that was... Um, uh, that was an interesting exercise, but I have to say I have taken to this staying at home like a duck to water and I really today will need to force myself to get out of the house oh. and to force myself to go for some walks or something because I've just, you know, I think this is, just comes naturally to me. I'm a homebody. Oh, it's, I'm walking. I, I'm I'm still walking, like, you know, procrastinate pup. I don't think that poor mm. dog has ever walked as much in his whole life he's been taken for approximately four walks a day at the moment like he's just because you know it's a it's a here I am walking my dog so I'm out on the streets kind of thing yes. but um you know I, like even for someone who spends a lot of time at home I do I do need to get out like I I'm I do find the walls close in sometimes it's yes. it's interesting but anyway I'm glad that you've rediscovered your balcony I'm pretty yes, happy about yes. that Yes. So we want to give a big shout out to Scribble and Whisk from Australia who left us a five-star review on this podcast, calling it fun, inspirational and motivating. And they said, this is my go-to podcast for all things writing and publishing, full of useful tips and industry information. It's upbeat and motivating. Valerie and Alison are lovely and the interviews never fail to deliver a useful gem or two. 
Awesome. Oh, thank you so thank much, you. Scribble and Whisk. Love lovely. It. I like to be described as lovely. That's great. Yes. And Made I, my like, day. I like the word, I like Scribble and Whisk. That sounds really cool, don't you think? It does. I do. It's very, very good. Yeah. just They just go together. So let's move on to the world of writing and publishing this week. The CBCA Book of the Year Awards for 2020, um, the shortlist was announced and it's pretty exciting because there's some people in there that we know, right? There are our AWC family is uh, mm. is kicking goals left, right, and centre. Um, yes. We just want to give a big shout out and congratulations to the wonderful um, presenter Leslie Gibbs, who's been shortlisted for her absolutely beautiful picture book, Searching for Cicadas, Love that book. Um, which is just a gorgeous, gorgeous book. Um, mm. And of course, Astrid Schult, who is a, an mm. alumna of the uh, Australian Writers' Centre, and her YA novel, her debut YA novel, Four Dead Queens, yeah. is up for Book of the Year Older Readers. And she actually has a brand new book out. Um, mm. I think it's like this week or last week it came out um, called The Vanishing Deep, um, which looks amazing as well. Uh, so congratulations to Astrid all round on on those things. And I'd just like to say that if you would like to win a copy of that book, uh, the new book, The Vanishing Deep, the Your Kids Next Read um, massive 30 books in 30 days giveaway is cranking along in the Your, um, Your Kids Next Read group and Astrid's book will be coming up for giveaway in that very, very soon. So congratulations to the family members yes. and um, and well done all round. Yeah, fantastic. Um, very, very exciting. So you also have this great post on your blog, Writing for Kids, Five Top Tips for Creating a Page-Turning Story. Well, speaking of the AWC family having an amazing week, um, let's talk about the incredible Sue Whiting, uh, yes. who is, of course, a presenter at the Australian Writers' Centre. Um, and she presents writing for children and young adults. Is that correct, Valerie, from memory? Yes, she I'm does. thinking about she that. Does. Yep. Yes. Uh, but Sue has a new book out. Um, again, it's a, a middle grade novel called The Book of Chance. Um, and it's a kind of page-turning thriller as uh, for, for middle grade readers which uh, Sue is very, very good at. And she has written a post for my Writing for Kids series. So on my website, alisontate.com, I have a series called Writing for Kids, which is actually writing tips for children by some of Australia's top children's authors. Um, so if you have a young reader who's um, who's interested in writing, it's a fantastic series. Um, or if you are a, um, a sort of a new writer, a beginner writer, it is also a fantastic series for you because it's um, the tips are, are brilliant and they just, I, I, you know, as I've, I think we've talked before, the, the basic premises don't change. It's just the, the language and the way mm. in which you deliver them um, when you're teaching them that, that changes depending on your audience. But um, you learn a lot from reading the series. But her series is five top tip. Uh, sorry, her series. Her post is five top tips for creating a page-turning story. Great um, tips too. Which is fantastic. I like One of them is be a meanie, which yes. is so true. Um, you know, you want your readers to turn the pages. They, you have to be mean to your characters. And as Sue says, it is... Is your duty as the boss of your stories. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to get your characters into lots and lots and lots of trouble. You've got to make trouble for them. Um, you have to give them a very, very bad day. And the other one that I really love, um, which is one that I think a lot of people miss when they're trying to write action adventure and, you know, exciting stories, is that um, there's a tip there called that she says where it's which is slowly does it. Yeah. And as she said, this might sound contradictory, um, and she doesn't mean to make your story slow, but you have to keep those secrets and surprises up your sleeve. You've got to those revelations have to be revealed slowly. And I remember us having a conversation with one of our authors. Oh, I can't even think who it was now. It was that lovely deep voice. I can remember the deep voice, and that's mm -hmm. all I can remember. Um, talking about one of the great tips for writing crime or, you know, like thrillers is to make your reader wait. And it's, mm. you've got to drip feed that information through the story, even as the action is exploding around you. Um, and I think that that is, a, that is a great tip from Sue as well. Um, so it's a great post. And, and I think um, if you're, um, you know, interested in writing that kind of story, action, adventure, page turning thrillers, um, have a look at it. And huge congratulations to Sue Whiting on the launch of the Book of Chance. Yes, absolutely. So go get your copy, The Book of Chance. 
Now, we also have a post on the manuscript awards that you can enter in 2020, and there's so many in there that you can check out. This is a post that's on the Australian Writers' Centre blog, and of course, we'll put the link in the show notes, and you can find the show notes at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. But there's everything. There's the Valerie Parve Award, which is for romance writers, the Kill Your Darlings Unpublished Manuscript Award. So that's really awesome for early career authors and a whole swag of awards that you can, that you can, you know, the Vogel, of course. Um, and the, the, the deadlines are around end of April, end of May, end of July. So you've got time to get yourself mm. organized and, um, and get in there because often some people's careers are launched as a result of either being shortlisted or, of course, winning um, an award of this nature. So it's a yeah. good one. Mm. Excellent. Also, what's the latest in the Your Kids Next Read giveaway? Is there we just, any more? We news? already talked about that. No. <laughs> oh, I thought there was extra news apart from the fact that, you know. No, no, it's it just was... that it was it's it's on and you could win a copy of Astrid's new book and all manner of other books every single day. It's the Aussie Author Super Tour, um, <laughs> which is um, taking place over 30 days. So there's a, a huge array of different books on offer from picture books right up to YA. Um, you just need to be a member of the Your Kids Next Read um Facebook group to enter and I think that's probably all that we need to say about that. Okay. Well, another giveaway is this. This is awesome. I've read the book. It's so cool. We have three copies of Ribbit, Rabbit, Robert. By Robot. The I'm sorry. Ribbit, <laughs> Rabbit, Robot. Where have you been? <laughs> three copies of – I have read it too. Three copies of Ribbit, Rabbit, Robot. <laughs> Wibbit, wabbit, wobot. Oh, my God. By Victoria McKinley, who is uh, a graduate of the Australian Writers' Centre. She's done writing picture books. She's done freelance writing, stage one, among many other courses. And she splits her time as a freelance writer and picture book author. And I caught up with Victoria a couple of weeks ago and she had her the copy in her very own hands. And um, it's it's such a great it's a, such a cool picture book. So um, uh, a magical picture book from an exciting new author, Victoria McKinley and illustrator Sophia Carmazina. When a friendly frog, a greedy rabbit and a robot with a short fuse find a magic lamp, chaos follows and friendship is found. This is a hilarious tale about kindness and always reading the fine print. There are detailed illustrations paired with simple all alliterative text like ribbit rabbit robot <laughs> and themes include selfishness greed and friendship and the importance of paying attention it's a really gorgeous book <laughs> sounds like something you should read valerie the importance of paying attention <laughs> sounds perfect you can go to writercenter.com.au slash win for your chance to win entries close on the 13th of april and um, so just go there and follow the instructions. If you are listening to this podcast in the future, don't worry, there'll be some other fabulous competition for you to enter. Uh, so that's writercenter.com.au slash win for Ribbit Rabbit Robot. Whew. Oh, my Ribbit, goodness. Ribbit Rabbit Robot. <laughs> <sighs> so, Al. Yeah. Are you ready for the word of the week? Uh, even in lockdown, I'm ready for the word of the week. <laughs> Well, we're not meant to be using that word lockdown, are we? That's not a word of the week. Are we not to, meant to? According to ScoMo, he doesn't like using that word lockdown. Oh, all right. I'm reason. sorry. What are we supposed to use instead? I guess we're not really locked down. Restrictions. Yeah, we're, we're, okay, we're a bit restricted. Mm. So right. anyway, the word of the week is heterodoxy. Heterodoxy. Do you know what it is? No. Well, this is almost like the opposite of orthodoxy. So where orthodoxy often refers to a conforming belief or opinion, you know, his beliefs were really orthodox, you could say, heterodoxy mm. refers to holding views that differ from those which are widely accepted. So it's like the opposite, right, of orthodoxy, heterodoxy. Lovely. <laughs> I don't, I don't, use it in a sentence for me, can you? Um, his heterodoxy was unsurprising considering his eccentricity. 
mm. considering his eccentric nature or something like that. Okay. <laughs> All I'll, right. rem- I'll remember it. Yes. So who is our writer in residence this week? Oh, this is so fun. I'm so excited about this one. So yeah. we we are, of course, as part of our, you know, mission to support um, authors in, in these difficult times where launches yeah. are being cancelled and, and you know, yes. the whole uh, publishing world has had to shift online uh, in a slightly pear-shaped fashion. Um we are doing a series of interviews with debut authors, um, which I'm very excited about because, um, you know, I think it's a really interesting, they're always very interesting conversations to have with how people fit things in and get the writing done to get that first book out. And I think it's a really useful thing for our listeners too, because I think we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, but it's, it's the, you know, these are people who are a few steps ahead of you, um, you know, up the, up the ladder, so to speak, um, along the road. And um, so, you know, there's a lot to be learned. Uh, the, the question I always love asking them, is, you know, was there anything about the publishing process that surprised you? And the kind of answers to that. And I also love the different roads that people use to come to this position of having their first book out. But blah, 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 that's all about me. Let's talk about our interview. <laughs> um, and we are talking to Claire Bowditch, um, whose uh, first book came, it's a memoir, mm. came out recently. And um, I have had a fantastic chat with her. She's so incredibly entertaining, um, such a lot of, uh, you know, different, you know, creative and life experiences to bring to her, to her memoir. And um, this is the book that she told herself that she would write when she was uh, 21 and when she was brave enough. And, you know, it's taken 20 years, but here it is. And we had a lovely chat about it. Claire Bowditch is an ARIA award-winning musician, Logie-nominated actor and one of Australia's favourite speakers. Her debut memoir, Your Own Kind of Girl, is out now through Alan and Unwin. Welcome to the program, Claire. Well, what a treat to be with you. I listened to your podcast as I was trying to become a writer. So this is a wonderful full circle moment for me. Well, it's very exciting to think of you listening to our podcast. Now I'm going to have to go, have to go back over what I've said now and see if it's all up to scratch, really. Well, you it was know. great. Let me look at you with your ARIA award and your Logan nominated. It all looks very impressive. Oh, it's pretty fabulous, isn't it? Look, um, the, the Logie nomination um, has be, has been a running joke because it, it did actually happen. Um, <laughs> You're not but, lying in your, bo- in your bio. I, I'm not sure I was worthy of that. Um, <laughs> Logie. Anyway, we didn't win that one. Some other bastard won it. So we've just stuck with the aria and it's good fun. It's pointy. It's a good doorstop. Fantastic. And um, just reminds us uh, on weeks like this when we're not working that we will work again. Fantastic. But, you know, and now you've sort of stepped out into a whole different area and, you know, you're you're a debut author, which is, is a whole different world to being, you know, like it's out of your comfort zone a little bit. And you open your memoir with a prologue and in that you tell readers that this is the book you promised yourself at 21 that you would write one day. So tell us about the day you decided it was time to write it. Well, look, um, 21, the year, I was 21, the year was about 1996, 97, and I was a woman who had many dreams, as many of you do too. Um, when I was 20, I was working in a call centre. I dropped out of uni. I had a shit relationship going on that I was trying to escape from. Uh, lovely guy. We just, you know, when you get into that codependent awfulness and we couldn't uh, – you know, things were things were a little dark, and I decided um, that it would be a really great idea to do what what's called a locational in the business. You know, we just get up, and we're going to go to a new place. We're going to start again, and everything's going to be great. Which is one of the um, the options that is currently not on offer at the moment in the mm. middle of COVID nineteen business. True but that. there it was. I left. I went to London, but on the night before I went to London, I wrote a big long list of all the things that I want to do do with my you know what what. Mary Oliver, the, the great poet Mary Oliver would call your one wild and precious life. Um, and on that list right at the top was that I one day wanted to write a book. And all of these things felt utterly impossible at the time. Like I said, I was working in the call centre. I had never really played 
any of my own songs in public. I, I had been a backup singer around Melbourne um, in pubs, but I had all these dreams. And writing a book was really important to me. I wrote in my diary and my journal every single day I had since I was 13. Um, and I was writing lyrics and stories, and they're all very, very secret because I thought they were just terrible anyway you know nothing was good enough but there I was giving it a crack so you jump forward to a year later I was in a very different space I hadn't had a good time in London in fact I'd had what's commonly referred to as a nervous breakdown Mm. a full physical collapse um so I'd lost half my body weight I was no longer leaving the house I was having recurring panic attacks and I was in a terrible terrible place very dark place I had chronic insomnia and I didn't know why I was alive, basically. But I was hanging on because I always, you know, I come from a family where we know what grief is, we know what loss is, and I knew I was in it for the long haul. I was sticking around, but I didn't know why I was here. I had the very good fortune to grow to understand what was going on for me. I didn't know what a panic attack was. I didn't know what anxiety was. I didn't know any of those things. And I read a book by a woman called Dr. Claire Weeks, who um, she was this wonderful stalwart of a woman and Judith Hoare has recently written a glorious um, biography of her and she was very much forgotten from history until right about now, which is very exciting because we need her more than ever. She's passed on, but her book effectively taught me a simple technique for managing and understanding and recognising my anxiety and no longer being bluffed by it. Mm. And I, in that experience, and this is a long answer, but it's important that I sort of say this up front, Mm -hmm. this is the reason I wrote my book and felt inspired to write my book because I began to understand exactly how much a book can change a life, can offer comfort, can offer support. And I thought to myself in that moment, right, if I do recover from this experience, I will one day tell this story. Now, it was the 90s. Mental ill health was not something we had much language around. It was incredibly awkward. And the thought of actually saying these things out loud was, you know, sort of spiraled me back into panic. But I'd made a promise to myself and to, to, to buy myself some time as I recovered. And this is long before anyone knew me in public or any of those things. Um, I made myself a promise. I said that one day... Um, when I was very, very old, a.k.a. 40, I would write <laughs> this story. And 40 came and it was time to do it. I had tried many times before. I'd failed. I tried to write it as a, a book of poems, as a play, as a television script, you know, and it was just a bunch of bollocks. I needed to tell a true story and I finally did. So you kind of had the midlife crisis at 40 and sat down and did it. No, I had the midlife crisis at 21 and at 40 I had the um, – well, yeah. I just didn't have any – I don't have any shame around it anymore. I yeah. don't you – know, and my children are old enough for me to not worry that they were going to be you know, um, – that kids at school weren't going to tease them because their mum had had an episode of mental ill health, which yeah. guess what? That generation, this generation are very au fait with the language of mental ill health. Yeah, you know? it's, a totally, it's, it's a different world now to what it was in the 90s when you were – experiencing it like that absolutely but yeah the reality is I tried to do it when I was doing a million other things like being a radio broadcaster and all the rest of it and the story was just too intense Uh, I needed to put all those things aside and it took me about 18 months from where to go to finally write it and get it published so what did you want the book to be because the thing that I find every author you know, no, it doesn't matter what you write, is you have this idea in your head of what this book is going to be and then you spend months and months and months and months trying to make the book into the thing that you want it to be. And sometimes, you know, you I, like, I don't know that you ever get to the shining place that you where your inspiration first had you, but you get as close to it as you can. So tell us what you wanted the book to be. Like what did you want for it and from it? It was very, very simple. Um I knew that this wasn't a rock and roll memoir. This was nothing to do with my career. This is nothing to do with fame or any of the reasons people would know me. I wrote it for the very simple reason that I had that memory of having been helped by a book. Mm. I knew it was a useful story because I had worked out a few things that were useful. And uh, that was the compulsion. That was sort of the, the feeling of it. Mm. Um, so my real intention was to try and find a way to tell an entertaining story that's actually got a fair bit of trauma in it without 
leaving people in the trauma of it but by getting to the light of it and so it was a really clear intention most things in my life are not this clear but this one was spot on I could see that reader and now I know that reader because of this thing called Instagram and these Mm. things called book launches and I know that we're in a moment in time where the idea of a physical book launch is impossible for some of the authors who are listening and my heart does go out to you but I want you to know that you will still meet your readers Mm. you know if you I had a very clear idea of who this might help and I know that that's not a terribly literary ambition you know that I shall this book will be useful to someone but I really think it was that simple it was like a baton I was handed it at 21 I've tried in my work to pass down what I could of that and um, this was just a clear sort of here you go hope you you know go run with this see if it's useful so when I read it, I feel as though I can hear you speaking, like the voice of it is very, very clear, you know, and now that I'm talking to you here, I can even hear it even more strongly. So therefore you are in my head forevermore. I may as well just have dictated it onto Dragon Dictate and Press. I, I, no. It kind of does feel that way. It's like she, you sat down one day and we're like, well, let me tell you a story. Mm. Um, I wish. Oh, my God. No, wish. wouldn't that have made it easy? But did it actually, like, I know that you kill wanted me, it to really be useful and I know Sorry. that you wanted readers. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Yes, it did nearly kill me. No, uh, go on. Yeah, did it? Sorry. Well, we'll get to that bit. But did it? Um, did it actually feel strange? Like it's a very personal story, and I know that you wanted it to be useful and you wanted it to, to tell it. But did it feel strange when it hit the shelves, knowing that people would actually be reading it? Because there is that moment of oh, oh my gosh, wow. yeah. The week before, I was sick to my stomach (laughs) with the thought of what the hell have I done? Um, Fortunately, I mean, this story, a lot of this story, it talks about the development and the playing out of um, trauma in a childhood brain and how the long tail of that and how that Mm. can sort of be with us. And that meant, that necessitated talking about shared stories, about family stories, talking about my sister Rowena who passed away when I was five and she was seven after a very long illness uh, and trying to tell that um, truthfully, respectfully and from a child's perspective. Mm. But there was so, because she had lived in intensive care on a life support machine for two years um, there was a lot that I needed my family's help with and permission with and we had conversations that we've never had. You know, anyone who's lost a sibling or lost someone in their family knows that there are things that, you know, you you just carry, you carry on and you do the best that you can and if you don't have to go back there, you don't because, mm. you know, my fear was always that I would cause additional trauma. And I know many of you are writing memoirs, you're listening, and you're thinking, how will this affect people or otherwise? Look, my approach was I wrote what I wanted to write. I edited it heavily. There were two chapters that involved my family, and I asked for their opinions and effectively for their blessing. Um, they understood the heart of the story, so they knew why I had to include that stuff. But that was a bit the week beforehand where I felt ill mm. and I thought, dear God, you know, I hope I have done justice to to my sister's memory. Mm. I hope I'm not um, going to make things more difficult for the people who loved my sister and um, what the hell am I doing? So to me, now I look back and I can say, oh, yeah, every time I've done anything that was useful or interesting or, you know, uh, that meant something to me, I effectively – I can shit myself in Mm. the bit just before you make it public. And that to me is a sign that, you know, if I've done the work, that's a sign that I'm on the right track and that this is going to connect with someone. So over the years you've written hundreds of songs and some of them have won awards and you also say, you know, in your memoir that you've drawn on those songs and diaries in the process of writing the book. So just leaving the book aside for a moment, can you explain to us a little bit about how a song comes together for you? Is that, possible? Like is that possible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought about it a bit. It's both impossible and possible. I'll mm. just tell you what I know because there's always some um, unconscious element to do with song. You can hear. Sorry, I'm I'm at home. I've got kids who I'm homeschooling. You no, can fine. hear how loud they're. We're all in the same boat. They're... I completely understand, and I know that our I know that our listeners also understand that we are all in the same boat. So I, I feel what like we're I... just in it together. 
A song is a little like an itch. It appears, it's usually embedded in a feeling that I don't understand. It's like a picture out of the corner of your eye and I feel restless and unhappy until I sit down and invite it in and ask, what are you? So it's like each one is its own little creature and they let themselves be known. And I know that sounds a little esoteric, but that's really how it's always worked for me. Um, Songs show up and I have to make space for them to come in and if I don't, you know, they they move on. They go to the next place. Um, do they writing, do they show up lyrically or do they show up musically? They show up first as a feeling, and then usually I will sit at an instrument and I will. It's all just practical stuff. I've always done this, whether it was a mini disc player or a tape recorder or an iPhone. I press record. I start playing. I find that there are some words that I sing over the top, I start to get a sense coming together of what this thing is about or the theme of it. Or sometimes I don't get that until I listen back afterwards and I go, ah, excuse me, I've written another song about um, X, Y, and Z. You know, Mm. for example, the album What Was Left, I realised as I was writing those songs, that was my second album, um, first album, I wrote after becoming a mother, I realized that there was, you know, the theme of that was grief, that Mm. in becoming a mother, I had to go back and revisit my own childhood. Mm. Um, You know, other other themes have been lust or addiction or other interesting, juicy topics. But so that's how a song comes to me. And it's, it's, um, I write at a ratio of, of about eight songs that aren't finished or are discarded to every one song that I finish. Mm. Um, and I just accept. And this, this knowledge of ex- the biggest bloody tip that I've got for any writer or songwriter is to just expect that you're going to write a whole lot of shit. Like the, a lot of what you're going to write is just garbage. You know, you're just having to the trick is to not judge yourself in that moment and keep going and then keep going again, keep going again, because you will hit um, a sense of having stumbled on something that matters or something that's beautiful or something that's useful. But most of it's going to be absolute crap and learning to, you know, as, as the saying goes, kill your darlings or discard those those um, drafts along the way is the only way I've ever finished anything. Mm. If I stopped at the first notion of, oh, my God, this is no good, then I, I would still be perhaps quite happily working as a team leader in the call centre. <laughs> so when it came to writing your memoir and you say that you drew on the songs for that, was that the lyrics you drew on, the feelings that you drew on? Like how did how did you use what you've written all of those years of all of that writing that you've done? Because songwriting is such a lot of intense internal, you know, summoning up, isn't it? So how did you use those songs in the writing of the book? I'm I'm pulling out a copy of the book now and I'm just looking in the chapter headings because effectively what I did was I named almost every chapter after a song. Um, I'm one of those people who wrote overwrite. I overwrite, not underwrite, as Mm. just explained. So I wrote about four times what I needed for this book. Most of it was just bullshit and unnecessary and just because, you know, that cathartic bit where you have to write it out. And then I went back and was able to use uh, a friend of mine, Emma Shiano, who's another writer and she's a comedian and she, yes, she's all of the things. <laughs> she just, she could see I was in quite a little state one day going, God, how do I order this and that and this and that? And she just went, well, what? You know, it seems obvious to me that you you would use songs to bed down your chapter headings. And I went, oh, yeah, right. I'll explore that. So (laughs) it was a really handy tip. That's a handy tip, yeah. Well, the whole book is named after a song that I wrote from Modern Day Diction called Your Own Kind of Girl, which is one of the first times I spoke publicly about struggles I'd had with my body, with diets, with um, thinking and with courage. And... You know, that's another reason, that's another difference, point of difference between songs and the book. You know, in songs you really can hide a lot more than you can in a mm-hmm. memoir. So yeah. anyway, the you, songs were useful because they helped me organise my thoughts in yeah. a way. Um, so a song like Empty Pockets, which is Chapter 9, I wrote that before any of us knew each other and it spoke into the time that I wrote it about, you know. So yeah. um, the lyrics 
human being that was the ending chapter that's one of the first songs i wrote and uh, it it's just completely parallel the writing of that song's parallel with the the time in that chapter so i guess that was that was a handy little organizing principle okay so when you actually sat down to write the memoir did you start at the beginning like did you progress the manuscript in a kind of logical i'm going to start here and i'm going to write all the way to where i'm up to right now or did you do bits and pieces i know well this is the question like what's the process for writing something like this for you so my process was incredibly messy full of self-doubt um, ill feeling, avoidance. Um, my only saving grace is that I kept showing up, and I kept asking for support and help along the way. I really mm. did. I, I from from people I trusted, not just sort of randomly, um, from from other friends who had survived this process. Uh, I was able to text them and say, "Is this normal? I feel like giving up." And they mm. would say, "Yes, that's normal. Just keep going." And then you know. That went on for 18 months. So it was, I don't think the writing of a memoir is for the faint hearted. Mm-hmm. I will write another book, I'm sure of it. And I, I, I do suspect, and this could be foolish, but I do suspect the writing of a memoir is the hardest book that you write. Mm. Um, and I look at the, you know, I open the book and I look at how. Uh, how much it benefited from editing and conversation. And my publisher, Kelly, was an absolute champion. Kelly Fagan from um, Allen and Unwin, she fought hard for the book in the beginning. She worked hard on the book with me. She took on a big task because I was a first-time writer. And um, between her and um, Ali Laveau and Krista Mons, who helped with the editing, we have a finished product. But I've got to say, if you left me in a room on my own with it, I would still be in, in my sort of habitual um, compulsive way, still be writing and rewriting and rewriting the same chapter. Okay. What helped me? So deadlines helped me, responsibility helped me, and commitment to other people helped me. Did you have a, a contract in place before the book before you began? Like, how did it come no. to be published? No, I, I wrote, I tried for many, many years to, to write. Like I said, I really did write this book in a few different ways um, and try to avoid the intensity of making it a memoir. Um, and I found that the truth was I couldn't avoid that, you know, that this is what this book wanted to be and I had to respect that or otherwise with the feeling, with the feeling that I had, you know, betrayed its intention. So, again, I had a contract with myself to write it. Uh, I tried many times and I kept failing. So what I did do that was courageous because <laughs> I think um, the, the, again, the, the work of art and putting your thoughts and feelings into the world when the world may or may not care about them is a big ask mm. and commend anyone who's wanting to do that because there's probably a reason you want to do that. Um, what I did do was I let a couple of friends read my script. I'm very lucky to have a husband who um, has a good friend called Peggy Frew and she's our good friend. She has been in a band with my husband for 20 years. So, Peggy was a first reader and Jamila was a first reader yeah. and they gave me some encouraging, useful feedback. And my my path to publishing, and I like to give as much practical, useful info as I possibly can because this is the stuff that I was craving just yeah. to know it was possible. Definitely. Is um, I have another friend who's an author, a wonderful author called, um, you know, she writes the most beautiful, playful, readable books um, called Zoe. She she said, well, why don't I um, why don't I, I introduce you to my agent? Again, that was a step in the way, in, in the path, you yeah. know. So I'd had the encouragement of a couple of friends who'd read it and given me editing tips. I got together maybe six chapters that made sense to me. Not of all, I didn't use them all in the final draft, but there were six chapters that were good and clear and a synopsis of what the book would be. Um, I had a meeting with a beautiful agent called Pippa Masson from Curtis Brown Mm -hmm. and luckily we hit it off and she believed in the story even though I was still very shy and from there we moved to a process of, um, you know, she helped me find the right publisher for the book. So those things were, um, you know, I've had lots of time in my life where I haven't known who to ask. I started from the bottom up in everything that I've done. But when it came to writing this book, I was very lucky because 
uh, of the f- the friendships um, and the way that they were able to support me. But I think, you know, these friendships are. I don't know how to do anything on my own. I don't know if we get to write books on our own. I look at, for example, um, Holly Ringland and and Trent Dalton. You know, and I see the way that at last year's uh, there was an award ceremony and they were talking to each other about the things that you know, the workshops they'd done together on their way up. And I just thought we all need each other when we're going to write a book because it's too big for just one person. Well, we do. And and it is something that um, Valerie and I talk about often on this podcast is the importance of having those friends, of making those friends, of talking to the people in the workshops with you, of talking to the people at the festivals with you and developing that that um, that crew around you of yes. people who are and, and those people who are around the same kind of level as you are wherever you're at is always a useful thing to have. Um, so, as a debut author, was there anything that surprised you about the publishing process itself? Everything surprised me. I had no <laughs> idea how it works. I'm like, right, so I give you a draft and then you give me a draft back Lots and then work. I. <laughs> And then I write and, oh, my God, it takes that long, really? So yeah, I write yeah. it and then you need this amount of time to oh, write. And, you know, there's always this, there was a big and delightful surprise that people were reading it. That's a good feeling. So mm. that was a good surprise. But I had no idea. I was like a kid. Uh, like I had no idea about time frames, about logistics. Um, I, you know, it turns out my mother who I asked for, my mother Maria, who I asked for a bit of, you know, a blessing along the way. She handed me back my manuscript. It had about 79,000 post-it notes popping out of it. And I thought, dear fucking God, you know, this, <laughs> what the, this is, I'm going to have to not write this. turns out she's a very good line editor. You know, I didn't even really, she was able to pick up some grammatical um, errors that I had had ever since I went to uni at the age of 22. I, I studied a Bachelor of Creative Arts. Writing was one of my majors. And, you know, I just had come to writing quite honestly, but without much structure, really. So anyway, everything about it surprised me. <laughs> and... And here you are. <laughs> Still surprising. It's a All miracle right. that we got here. Miracle. You also have a family. You have three, as we've as we've discussed, yours, your son. You have three teenage kids. How do you manage creativity around the business of being Claire? Because you know you are a business. You're a you know you're a, a speaker, a, 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 a musician, an actor, and all of those things that you are. Um, and and then the day to day management of family and life and stuff. Like where do you fit this stuff in? It's a really big question. Um, and I'm going to do my best not to ramble. So I. <laughs> I make my living by sharing my thoughts, feeling, uh, feelings and encouraging other people to do the same and by trying to make things that I think are uh, mean something in the world. I try to do that in the most entertaining way that I can and I have always understood that my great advantage is that I am very, very much like all the people in my audience. You know, my audience is a gang of humans who I get along pretty well with um, and that started as 20 people and there are now more people in that gang but the same principle applies. So I've never been shy about talking about the mess, the beautiful chaos of juggling, mm. juggling is not the right word, of muddling through um, continuing to have a creative life when you have family. My advantage is my creative life in public only really started and got I only really got the rocket up my bum when I was pregnant with my first child because I suddenly mm. thought, I do know this is what I want to do with my life. I um, I do suspect that's true. I want to make things that are uh, connecting to other people. So I got brave because I had to make a living mm. and I thought if I'm ever going to try and make a living doing what I love, which felt almost impossible I better do it now and so I got pretty um my first tour I was already a mom we had a one-year-old I have my husband and I do it together he was in my boyfriend Marty the drummer in my band Mm. um so the way I do it is we have been uh fiercely co-parenting which was a little bit radical 18 years ago when we became parents fiercely co-parenting since the beginning um we know how to live frugally when we need to, um, which is a necessary skill in the kind of ever-changing times 
and um, ever-changing fortunes of being an artist in Australia, mm. which is, you know, we have a small population, so you've got to be pretty clever and quick on your feet to, to keep um, making your living doing it this way. And so that's a, that's a, that's a, um, a practical skill that's really useful. But the truth is my... The, the friction and joy and um, muck and disappointment and um, glory of attempting to be a mum to these beautiful kids is a fuel in my creative life because it keeps me curious and asking questions and um, it keeps me wanting to do something useful in the world because I love them and um, I want to make them proud. So so for me that that dichotomy has worked well as long as I could accept that I was never going to uh, I was never going to get away with being anything other than I am you know there was no point me trying to be you know you see these sort of celebrities um who always look a certain way or they're very well groomed or they you know they don't swear or they somehow control their weight or they you know present their kids are always their hair's always done perfectly they cook um you know perfectly roast chicken meals <laughs> no it just doesn't you know I, I just knew as long as I didn't try and do that to myself I would still have room and heart and desire to have a creative life I hope that makes sense it I does just, and it totally sums up you know you are your own kind of girl and there you are hey. in the book right there <laughs> look wow. at that beautiful you? um, yeah. now you mentioned that you uh you know you've got the you've now sort of jumped into the Facebook with, you know, quarantine with, with Jam and Claire. Um, yes. Do you enjoy being on that online? Like, you know, obviously right now particularly it's probably mm. never been more important for authors to have that online visibility. But is that something that you enjoy? Is it something that comes easy to you, like that sort of social media online space? I enjoy Instagram enormously and I find that an easy medium. I can't explain why. Just in my mind, it's organised and ordered in a certain way. The visuals work for me and the it's not too cluttered. I get lost in Facebook. Mm. Um, our quarantine group was a really beautiful idea that Jamila had and I'm in there learning as I go. Mm. Um, I like Facebook but I've never been very good at administrating um Groups because mm. I don't like saying, I mean, it has to be a curated space, otherwise it's just a clutter. And that means saying thank you so much to people. Um, it means not posting every single thing that gets um, yeah. offered. And that's against my nature. I sort mm. of like <laughs> to yeah. open up. Thankfully, Jamila is a natural-born boss. She's very good at that. She um, has a media background yeah. and she knows she has an eye for what's going to – She knows uh, how to edit. <laughs> yeah, she knows how to edit and that's a real gift to the people in that group. Like I said, we thought there will be 50 people. There are 5,000 today. Yeah. Um, if, you know, it's a little like the virus itself. It keeps sort of multiplying, which is in our case um, a positive thing because those women and a couple of men – are giving me a reason to get up in the morning and a thing to do and a hopeful place to be because their courage and their honesty in there is exciting to me. It, it's keeping me going. In the last week, you know, Jamila and I have just done silly things like we fold washing as we're doing Facebook Lives, we have a chat, we've run sing-alongs, we do <laughs> do pyjama yeah. parties. Yeah. And also there's other real things. Now, this week I went to a funeral of a dear friend, Shuzi, who had this beautiful organisation, still does, it's still going, called Life's Little Treasures, to talk about being at a funeral in the age of COVID-19 where social distancing is necessary and how terribly impossible that conundrum is in grief that's yeah. another thing you know we get to talk about in there but we, we generally I mean again is that easy for me once I realize they're human beings and we're talking to each other yes it's easy yeah. um, what's not easy is at the moment I can't answer every dm I get and I want to um, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. like that feeling you need to set some so, boundaries yeah and mm. I that's annoying to me but mm. That's you know, it's just arrogant to think you, you it's going to be any other way. So, so yeah, I do. I don't mind it. I quite like it. Okay. So, what's next for Claire Bowditch? Like, you God. know, I believe you've got a new album. Is this correct? Well, did, I, I did. did I make that up? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I could have made it up. Like, it's possible. Look, um, I've got a couple. I'm quite. 
I'm like most other creatives. Um, in the last two weeks, uh, I actually was set to we, Marty and I, our family was set to have a bloody good season. Mm. Uh, we had some wonderful events lined up, and unfortunately, 14 of 15 events, mm. including Sydney Writers Festival and Melbourne Writers Festival and Newcastle Writers Festival and mm. Blue Mountains Writers Festival, have either been postponed or cancelled or changed and most of the ways that I make money have been cancelled um Mm. here's where I'm fortunate I do have two projects that are on the go so yes there's an album on the go Mm -hmm. um and Island Records have been very bloody generous and patient as I've sort of gone yes this is a year oh I think I'll write a book oh I think I'll do a radio (laughs) show you know so I'll do something else um, I do I love them very very much um but what I'm also doing is I'm doing an Audible original. I, I've been working on an Audible original, um, something that's sort of based on the themes of your own kind of girl but quite practical and I won't give away any more because mm. it's going to be fun. But mm. um, I'm also working on that at the moment. So Fantastic. I right. will continue doing that, hanging out in my Facebook group. Folding um, washing. <laughs> Bonnie washing, but I just want to put a little shout out there. I know it is a really tough time for anyone who was going to write a book or um, more than that was going to release a book in this period of time. Um, We were due to do events with – I'd been invited to do an event with Trent Dalton. Uh, We were due to do an event with um, Julie Gillard, which we hope will still go ahead. Who knows? But in this, you know, it's not just first-time debut authors who are needing to pivot and be clever or postpone or feel scared in this climate. It's all sorts of writers. And I just want to, on a practical note, say if you've written a good book and you're able to find creative ways to back it and be useful in or be able to talk about it in this environment, there is still there is some juicy freaking opportunities because mm. book sales are up, actually. Um, the independent bookstores who we love and support are going to need good books to sell when they open their doors again. And if you can offer them one and make yourself, you know, um, beloved to them and do them a favour by writing a bloody good book, then good on you, you know, go for it. And if I can be helpful, honestly, if I can be helpful, um, do DM me, even though I might take a while (laughs) to get back to you. But I do, you know, I do want to... boundaries, remember? We just talked about this. (laughs) I know, I know, but I do, I know, I mean, I would, I nearly put my book off and to release it around about now because of chronic self-doubt. I feel lucky that I didn't because um, you have to put a lot of energy into pivoting, but Mm. you can do it. You can do it. All right, well, let's finish up today. It's been an absolute, can I just say, and I'm sure that our listeners will agree, it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, Oh, Alison with two L's, it's been my pleasure. I love it. Um, But I just want to finish up for today. We always ask our authors for their Mm. top three tips for writers, and I'm sure you'll have some crackers for us, Claire. Well, the first one is expect to feel like absolute shit. Uh, (laughs) Expect (laughs) to have a very, very, very loud voice of self-doubt there. Uh, that's completely normal. Uh, that is your survival brain saying just stick to the norm and don't, you know, just just keep it simple. It, it, so number one is expect to have the voice of self-doubt there and write anyway. Number two, for me, what really did help was writing first thing in the morning and being routined with it. So I treated it like a job um, and it was my priority for the day. Um so that's number two. And number three is really around what I've mentioned today. You, you need a crew. You know, if that is your local library writing group, if that is your community group, if that is an online course, if that is um, your lecturer at uni, if that is just a, you know, a friend who, who said, well, I'll read your book for you, call on them. And, and you know, at the moment, like one of my mates, um, local local lady Catherine Devaney for example you know she's she's she does these classes called gunners she has a book um about writing if you don't have a structure or a mentor just get that book it's that's one of the many useful books that's available um that'll give you a bit of a kick start main thing is just sit down and write excellent all right 
Well, thank you so much to that, uh, Claire, and good luck with all of your things, folding your washing and all everything else as well. Oh, and the, kids at, the kids at home and <laughs> is your, Can I ask, is your house, is it just me or is your house, like I have failed as a homeschooling mum, for one. My house is chaos. Um, <laughs> Look, I, and... just, I just think we all just need to lean into it. I just, Spot honestly, on. I'm just like, I'm trying <laughs> to keep a routine going where I can and I'm also, but I'm yeah. also going, this is not a normal day. So let's just yeah. not have a normal time. It's just not going to happen. So I think if we can all do that and keep our washing folded, then we're doing really, really well. Exactly. Well done. Thank you very much, Claire. Thank you. It's been great to chat. Lots of love to everyone. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Have you ever wanted to write your memoir? Do you have a story to tell but you're unsure how to write it in a way that's engaging and compelling for readers? Our course in life writing is presented by Australia's leading memoir writing expert, Patty Miller. Patty has mentored countless writers in the publication of their memoir, and now you can learn from Patty no matter where you live. Through live sessions held via online video, you'll watch your story come to life and gain the confidence you need to pitch it to publishers. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash lifewriting. All right. Awesome. Claire Bowditch, um, great interview. Yeah, it was very enjoyable. We've got school holidays coming up and I think some parents are really getting themselves organised because a lot of people are buying your fantastic course, oh, Creative Writing Quest for Kids, where you take through, you know, you on video, kids through a step-by-step process of writing their own 800-word short story and then they have the opportunity to send that to you if they want to and get video feedback from you, which is very exciting. Um, what do you enjoy most about reading these stories, Al? Oh, do you know, I think the thing that is – I think the thing that's amazing about it is um, how when you're that young, like because these guys are 9 to 14 for the most part, some of them are slightly younger, some of them are slightly older, you you sort of, you really have an instinctive grasp on writing like you talk. You, you're already, you're doing it because that's, that's kind of the only, you know, it's pretty much like the, the voices of these stories are so engaging and natural because they haven't, kind of become crippled by I have to sound like a writer as many mm, adults do. Mm. So these very natural kind of they, the way they come out and it's fascinating because I can pick with some kids because um, one of the things I talk about in the course is using the things that you know in your story, you know, the stuff that you're interested in, those weird little passions that you have, the stuff you don't really, you know, you might not even discuss it with anyone else at school because your interest in rocks is is not a cool thing, mm-hmm. but you can use your interest in rocks in your story, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I can tell the ones that have a passion because yeah. the, you just get this this flood of knowledge about rocks or <laughs> cakes or whatever it is that they're doing um, within the stories. And it's it, it's amazing what a difference it makes to a story when they do that. It's incredible what a difference it makes to a story because it grounds the whole story around something that it, that feels honest and real and it's Oh, it's they're great. They're really, really good. I enjoy. I really enjoy, you know, reading them. And I, I mean, last week I was giving my feedback in the garden because mm-hmm. it was the quietest. It was the quietest place in the house. Mm-hmm. So I was sitting out in the garden, you know, with the golden sun setting behind me, and it was all very picturesque. I thought, oh, I should probably do this all the time. You couldn't even see, like, you know, my roots were starting to show through, which is probably my greatest fear of the whole video thing coming going forward. Is just, you know how scary my roots are actually going to get but anyway that's another that's a whole nother story um but yeah so no it's a it's a very enjoyable I'm so glad that um people are you know signing up for it because it is it is a very structured thing it's yes. you know 12 modules it gives them a goal it gives them a whole bunch of other things of other activities that they can do around the course as well um so you know yeah the go stories forth. are great yeah fantastic all right so um what are you going to be doing until we meet again I'm working on a new story. I'm writing oh, a new manuscript. I've started fantastic. Write a Book with Al and I am writing, I'm feeling my way into a new story, which is, you know, if you're going to have to stay home, the best way to, you know, move, go somewhere else is either to write your own story or read someone else's. Mm-hmm. Um, I will be going for a walk. <laughs> 
throwing some more walks because I've got to get out of there. And rediscovering other aspects of your balcony. <laughs> exactly. All right. Where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. Um, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. So please do come and say hello. You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. And you'll find the show notes, of course, at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.